So at one point in my life, one time, I was asked and invited to join a church choir. I was 30 years ago. I've never been asked back since, but I don't know why. But anyway, one time I was pastoring a tiny little church in Barnum, Minnesota, population 460 people south of Duluth. Um, and there was a uh, man there named Willis Finnefrock who was in the bass section. And I didn't know what notes we were supposed to be singing. I didn't really know what notes were, but he told me, yeah, yeah, you betcha. We sing this line here on the bottom. So I just followed him. And actually, I learned. Now, Willis was a uh, turkey farmer. He was a fuel oil truck driver. He was a furnace repairman which is no small thing when you're in northern Minnesota and it's 10 below zero in the middle of January and you need somebody to come at 2 a.m. who will get there and who will do a good job fixing your furnace. That was Willis Finnefrock. Willis, I noticed that when we started singing some of these old hymns, he would start choking up. In the middle of the hymn, he would, the tears would start to flow as he was singing about Jesus. And I noticed that Willis, anytime he told a story like somebody's life, somebody who had been saved from sin, somebody who's, whose life had fallen apart, or somebody who had been redeemed from an addiction, or somebody who had come to know Jesus for the first time, he couldn't get through the story without choking up and crying. But Willis was also somebody that fought fiercely for the life of the church. He cared deeply about the great truths of the Christian faith, and he was willing to fight for them, but he always did it with a tender heart. Time will fail me if I told you about his wife Kay, mother, matriarch of Barnum Community Church, who fed and housed and loved Hundreds of people through her time there. Time will fail me if I tell you of the second cousins, Leon and Nancy Finnefrock. Foster parents to over 100 adolescent boys over 20 years during their time in Barnum, Minnesota. These people are saints. People in love with Jesus who reflect the beauty of Jesus, and watching them, thinking about them, looking at their lives now as they grow older and how they are moving into the last season of their life. Talking about them right now makes me want to be like them. Makes me want to be a saint. The church's secret sauce. What is that secret ingredient that makes the church, the aroma and the flavor of the church come alive? Well, we could say it's Jesus, yeah. We could say it's worship, yeah. But on All Saints Sunday, I want to say it's the saints. It's people who reflect the life of Jesus. 
And every year we have this incredible experience of, in the Anglican tradition and many other churches in the great tradition of every year we celebrate All Saints Sunday. And I get to do it twice because next week is All Saints at Res. So I get two All Saints Sundays. And every year it's like Jesus tells the church, church, awake. Awake to the beauty of the saints in your midst and around the globe and people throughout the centuries who have followed Jesus and who have reflected in their life this, the beauty of what we find in our gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Remember them, look for them, watch them, imitate them. Say, thank God for them, and then say, God, make me like them. So let me pause and just ask, well, so what is a saint? What is a saint? And how do I become one? So first of all, what is a saint? It's a really important question. You know, every year we also, every year in the church year, so almost every, we have like a three-year cycle of gospel readings. So you won't hear the same gospel reading usually for three years. But every Sunday, every year on All Saints, we do the Beatitudes, this passage from early in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. So we have a passage of scripture to guide us. What is a saint? Well, let me just say that here in the history of the church, in the history of Christian spirituality, this is where the church divides into two streams and two roads. So the first one was we'll call Team Catholics. And Team Catholics believe that saints are sort of, they're people that have been officially recognized by the church for their heroic virtue and beautiful lives. They are if this is a team, they would be the all-stars. They live beautiful, well-ordered lives. And maybe it took them a while to get there, but they got there. They're eminently imitatable. You know, they're, they're like the structure of the Beatitudes. So you look at the Beatitudes, just look at them as a unit of literature. And it is a well-ordered beautifully structured piece of literature. So it's divided into two sections, verses 3 through 6, and then verses 7 through 10. And each section in the original language has 36 words. And the first four blessed, so blessed are the poor, blessed are the, those who mourn. Actually, all four of the first blesseds in that first section in the original language start with the word P. Somebody took a lot of time to craft this into a beautiful piece of literature to say, this reflects a beautiful life. This is a beautiful way to live your life. This is a well-ordered life. It's beautiful. It's ordered. It's whole. You know, don't you get tired of seeing so much in our culture that is ugly and disordered and fractured in the news and on social media and on TV and in films, maybe even in your own life and my own life? The saints give us a vision of what life can be, what life should be with Jesus and his church. You know, I have a little scrawny 
set of three rose bushes in my backyard. I never really do much to them. I cut them back, and then I put a little fertilizer on, and then every once in a while, I'll go and cut them again. So every once in a while, when I go to somebody's house and they have rose bushes that they actually care about, I go, oh, that's what a rose bush is supposed to look like. Wow, that is beautiful. That is well-ordered. Saints are like well-tended rose bushes. They bloom and they grow and they're beautiful. 1,600 years ago, there was a brilliant but cynical young man who came to the city of Milan, Italy. His mother was a believer, but he thought Christians, the church was crude, unintellectual, repressive. His name was Augustine. He came to see a leader of the church, uh, eloquent, allegedly an eloquent, intelligent speaker, a man named Ambrose. And Augustine said in his confessions, he said, that man of God received me like a father and expressed pleasure at my coming. I began to like him. At first, not as a teacher of the truth, for I had absolutely no confidence in your church, Lord, but as a human being who was kind to me. I love that story. Here's Ambrose. He meets this young, intellectual, but arrogant and cynical young man, but he treated me. He was like a father. And I hear that story and, and it moves me because I've been Augustine. And at this stage in my life, I want to be Ambrose. But there's a saint for you. That's not your story. There's saints that will move your life. There's saints for you to look up to that are way beyond you that'll go, not depress you or shame you, but say, I want to be like that. That's team Catholic. But then you might be thinking, but I'm not an all-star. I'm ordinary. I'm flawed. I'm sinful. You don't know what my life was like this week. Ah, we also have team evangelical. The good news of the grace of Jesus, that the vilest offender who truly believes as an old hymn says, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor there is one of a number of different words for poor in the original Greek language, but it's a word that means abject poverty, beggars, people who are spiritually a mess. And it's not randomly the first one. It's put there intentionally, I believe, again, this really well-crafted piece of literature. It's put there because this is the door into all of the Beatitudes. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, you're inadequate. You're a disaster. Your life's a mess. Your spiritual life's a mess. You can't get it together. I can work with that. I can work with you. I remember Willis, one time we were singing How Great Thou Art, a hymn, to my shame, I don't really like very much, but it's too slow. But anyway, he's singing, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. 
that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, and the tears are just flowing as he's choking the words out. And I'm thinking, this hymn is just slow. I'm not really into it. And I'm looking at Willis, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. What an amazing truth, the grace of God. Paul said, I want you to know something with full assurance, that Christ came to die for sinners, not for righteous people, not for people who have it together, but for sinners. And then Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. If there's a line of sinners, I'm in the front. So you got Team Catholic, special, extraordinary. You got Team Evangelical, flawed, ordinary, but redeemed by Jesus. Which one is it? Well, that's the great thing about being an Anglican. We can say it's both. <laughs> we'll take them both. We love Team Catholic. We love Team Evangelical. That's what Anglicans do. Saints are people who have become or are on their way to becoming, sometimes stumbling and bumbling and fumbling along the way, more like Jesus. Here's the real, this is what I think is the real key to the, to the Beatitudes. It's actually in verse two, or verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So the disciples, or the Beatitudes, are for people who come to Jesus or who are coming to Jesus. Later, Jesus would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Saints are people who keep coming to Jesus. They have a bad week, they come to Jesus. They do a good thing, they come to Jesus. They do a bad thing, they come to Jesus. That's what saints do. So how do I become a saint? Well, there's lots of things I could, we could talk about. We could talk about spiritual disciplines. We could talk about worship. We could talk about liturgy. We could talk about the Eucharist, which we're about to celebrate. They're all beautiful things. But I want to talk about one practice, one outlook, especially on All Saints Day, that's going to help us become more like the saints. In order to do that, let me ask a question. And I'll, you'll, this will be relevant, but you might not think so at first. Why is it that house cats can often climb up a tree, but then they get stuck up in the tree and they don't know how to get down? You ever wondered about that? I mean, on you know, TV shows and stuff, when the fire truck comes, it's never because a cat is trying to get up the tree, right? It's always because a cat is trying to get down the tree. So this intrigued a scientist and autism advocate named Temple Grandin. And so she developed a theory. She claims that it's a, the theory is it's a, it's a breakdown of social learning. So the mother cats teach the kittens how to come down the tree because it's not innate. They have to learn it. It's a little counterintuitive how to go back down the tree. So somewhere there's been a breakdown of social learning Then the mother cats have been separated from their kittens too early and they never had the chance to teach them. They never had a chance to watch and imitate. Now, it's just a theory. 
But there is a ton of research to show that a lot of animal behavior is learned. We used to think it's just instinctual. It's not. So, for instance, killer whales, tigers, cheetahs, birds, lizards, elephants. They all learn behavior from other of their own kind. So, for instance, elephants, as you may know, around the globe, are, especially male elephants, are in a crisis right now. Because of poaching and environmental problems, they have been separated from other male and, fee and mom mama elephants, and they no longer how to act as young male elephants anymore, so they go on rampages. They hurt other animals and people and property. It's because they haven't learned. So what does this have to do with being a saint? The Christian life is a life of imitation. It is an imitative life. We're imitating others who have gone before us. That's why the Apostle Paul said a number of times, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why? Because Paul's so amazing, such a holy example. Well, sort of in a way, but Paul also said, I'm the chief of sinners. So you're also imitating a fellow sinner. But the Christian life is imitative. Well, what does that have to do with the Beatitudes? Well, okay, stick with me here. So look at, the, look at the Beatitudes. Like, look at, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourners? Blessed are the mourning? Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How is hungering and thirsting a blessing? Blessed are those who are persecuted. How is that a blessing? One Bible scholar says, Jesus authority, in, the, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is authoritatively commending states of being in the world that, the, that seem like the opposite of human flourishing. In other words, they're kind of nuts. Or they're kind of counterintuitive. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because the Beatitudes are eschatological. And that means they're talking about the end. The end. You heard it in the first, that scripture reading from Revelation. That every tear will be wiped away. Every sadness will be healed. Every brokenness. The, the heal, the, the, there's a river that runs through the, healing, the city of God, which is for the healing of the nations. There will be healing. There will be a redemption. And according to the Bible, that healing, that final healing, which is going to be beautiful and complete, is now breaking into the world now. So the future is breaking in now, and that's why Jesus could say, blessed are those who mourn. So what does that have to do with all saints? Well, it's, oh, we see in the saints how this counterintuitive idea makes sense. We see it because they're living in it. They are living the Beatitudes. We can see it. Let me give you some examples. So I have some friends in the Diocese of Jos, Nigeria one of our sister dioceses at Church of the Resurrection. I don't know if you've been following the news about Nigeria, but, but Google it. Google it and then hit the news tab. Or Google Nigeria violence and hit the news tab. Or Nigeria economy. There was an article in the Economist magazine titled, Is Nigeria Ungovernable? Can anybody govern this country? And the implied answer was no. 
It's not. There is profound food scarcity. There is an economic crisis. There is violence. There has been a huge increase in kidnappings. So I reached out to one of my friends over there, Susan, and I said, Susan, I'm reading in the Western press. Is this true? And she says, oh, no, Matt, it's worse. It's worse than that. It's horrible. They are people who are, they're mourning. They're mourning for their nation. They're mourning for the lack of safety. They're mourning for their children. They're mourning for the violence and people that have been killed. They're being persecuted. Small villages are getting wiped out by extremists. They are in the midst of this. And yet in the midst of this, they are building hostels, buildings for a thousand orphans is their goal. They're starting new churches. They just had their annual conference in which Archbishop Kwashi gave this amazing visionary address to all of his priests and deacons and leaders in the church. They are being comforted. They are hungering and they are being, they are satisfied, even though they're hungering and thirsting. They are persecuted and yet theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the future glory of eternity is breaking into their lives now. And I see it in them, and I say, oh, that's what it looks like to be a saint. Let me give you another example. I have a friend in Papua New Guinea, in the western highlands of Papua New Guinea. His name is Pastor Apatol. And he says it like that, Pastor Apatol. He has physical disabilities on both his, his hands. Basically, he has like no fingers, basically what we might call club hands or what used to be called. He, as a young man, he was beaten by his uncles and left for dead. Somebody picked him up and brought them to a place called Kujip Hospital, where my son and his colleagues serve as, as doctors. He spent weeks and months there healing. He also met Jesus there, and he was able to forgive, and he was able to let go of his hatred and his revenge towards his uncles. And right now, he is building a church for persons with disabilities in the western highlands of Papua New Guinea. That guy's a saint. The saints are all around you. They're all around the globe. Don't just look in the United States. Sometimes you get, we get so discouraged with the church in the United States. We get so discouraged with the, some of the political dimensions of the church in the United States. But don't just look at the United States. Did you, Re Revelation chapter 7, from every nation and tribe and tongue, this is a global church. In 1900, the year 1900, 80% of the followers of Jesus in the world were in Europe and North America. Today, that has almost been completely flipped. 80% of the followers of Jesus are in the global south, are in areas of poverty. Much different places than America. Look around the world. But look here, too. Maybe you're new here and you go, oh, these people, I don't know. They seem kind of boring. I don't know. There's probably nobody really interesting here. You're wrong. Everybody I've met here is interesting. There's like so many interesting stories. 
And if you're looking for people that are perfect or sinless or who will never disappoint you, you will live a stunted, cynical life. Cynicism will eat you up like cancer eats up healthy cells. And you don't want that. You know, when I came to Church of the Resurrection 10 years ago, just a very broken place in my life, and I, I, I was convinced I am not going to stay here. I'm not going to be a pastor here. I don't want to be a pastor anywhere, I don't, and I don't even want to stay here. And I even told that to Bishop Stewart. And he said, well, fine, just stay here as long as you want. And I'm still there. And I tell you, I have just met so many beautiful saints. The church is filled with them. All Saints Day, Jesus tells his church, okay, look, guys, I know, maybe you've been numb, maybe you've been drifting along, maybe you've wanted to just kind of more manage your life and be comfortable, and maybe you're in a place of outrage. And Jesus tells his church, set your sights higher. Open your heart to the saints. And ask me, ask me through my saints, through my people, to love you, to move your heart, to enkindle your heart, to awaken your affections, to expand your dreams, and to call you higher. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.